Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Go back to a late Monday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Sorry, we're getting this to you late. It's rants. It's going to be a shorter rants because we'll do more rants later in the week. It's Doug Maurice. And i am got to get back in the groove. So I wanted to record this before the national championship game Monday night. And then on the Tuesday pod, which will be up a little bit later, on Tuesday, Nathan, Stephen, and I will react to the national championship game, react to Ohio State's final ranking in the AP poll, react to, do you think Ohio State would have won that game? The Buckeyes were playing TCU. What I wanted to get this out first before we we have that influence our thinking. So uh, I did go through at long last. I did a couple of days ago, but I just I couldn't get to this pod before now. I apologize. I'm sorry. I, I feel bad. I should have done this earlier. And post game reactions from you guys. It's been more than a week now, obviously. But um, there's something I want to zero in on here at the start of the rants because I think it's possible this is the best loss. In my 18 years covering Ohio State, 19, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 18. 18 years of covering Ohio State football. I think it's possible the Georgia loss, the way Ohio State played on that stage with those stakes coming off what it was coming off of, but almost just football, almost strip away everything else, strip away circumstance and strip away intangibles and strip away motivation and talk football, I think it might be the best loss that I've ever covered in terms of the best they played. It's hard to, and going through the postgame ranks, there's, there were F-bombs in there. And then I saw other people apologizing for F-bombs. People were mad and sad and disappointed because it's hard to lose when you're Ohio State and shrug your shoulders and feel like, well, there's not much you could do. Because most of the time when you're as talented as Ohio State, there is something you could have done if you would have done something a little bit better. It is almost impossible. I think Ohio State might be one of four. I'm trying to think how many teams there would be. Right now, programs in the country, Alabama, Georgia, the remnants of Clemson and Ohio State, where you cannot have a loss without some regret because you would feel like there's something you could have done better. And if you had done it better, you would have won because of how talented you are. I think the level below that, it's not more than four or five teams. 
Because then you get to like, hey, they were better than us. Like on the biggest stage, we did what we could and they were better than us. I think this may have been the closest. This may be number one on my list of covering Ohio State of Ohio State did basically everything it could do. And the other team was just better. And this is, comes from one of our brilliant texters. And again, you guys love what you guys send us. Doug, you've been around since 2005. Can you remember a Buckeye loss that felt like Ohio State played its A game? Like there is nothing to really criticize or critique. We didn't leave points on the table by settling for red zone field goals like Texas in 05 or Clemson in 2019. It didn't feel like the refs screwed us outside the non-targeting call on Marvin Harrison Jr. It felt like we had the athletes to match them and weren't overmatched, and it felt like the coaching and play calling were on point. I can't remember a Buckeye game where I felt all those things and still lost. Can you? I honestly think the post-game pod should be five minutes. That was a heck of a game. What a performance by two heavyweights. Happy 23. And that was Buckeye Talk. That's from the 937. And that was sent in the immediate aftermath of the game. And I think that's a really intelligent text for the aftermath of a game that quickly. So I wanted to try to, and before we get rid of this, because we did the reaction, right? We did the post-game pod. We did two hours on Ryan Day play calling and some other stuff, other reactions. Then we did offensive breakdown, defensive breakdown. Before we let this one go, and I know someone, I I think whatever the year was where we like buried a loss. We're not going to quite on the podcast. We said we're burying this loss, right? And I think it was therapeutic for some people. This is going to be a shortened version of that because what I have done, and this is my context, and we all have our own contexts, and I'm not going to pretend that Well, just it's my context. I can't do any more than my context because anything that I would do before 2005 for Ohio State is me reacting to things that I wasn't witness to and party to in the moment. So your context may be much, 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 much longer than 18 years of Ohio State. Your context might be shorter than 18 years. So my context, I think this is the best loss. And I think that makes it difficult in some ways for us to get our hands around it. Because in my time covering Ohio State, and this is a nice reminder, I'm throwing out 2011 because, like, what's the point? That 2011 season doesn't tell anything, doesn't tell us anything about Ohio State football. So the Buckeyes were 6-7 and seven that year, so I'm just throwing that out. So I took out the wins, I took out the losses, because that's not really the point. Every other year of Ohio State football that I've been around for, because 4 was the last time I had a true reset year, so 5 on other than the chaotic NCAA sanction driven year of 2011, Ohio State felt like they had a chance to beat everybody they played. That was the expectation level. They are 193 and 26 in those 17 years from 2005 until now throwing out 2011. 193 and 26. It is a re- reminder of the kind of program that we are talking about. I then divided those 26 losses into 1 2 3 4 5 Six categories, okay? And this is us trying to wrap our head around as we go into the history books with this loss to Georgia for Ohio State, how we contextualize it. Okay. I called seven of those 26 losses upsets. Just like, what? I can't believe that happened. That they lost. That they lost that game. And the seven that I put If you want to write this stuff down and then you can come back at me and say, "Ah, I didn't like this category. You put this loss in the wrong category. Those seven losses for me were 2007 Illinois, Juice Williams throwing four touchdown passes on that secondary when Ohio State was the number one team in the country. They still make the national title game, miraculously. 2009 Purdue, Ryan Kerrigan in West Lafayette, Terrell Pryor. I thought that 2009 team was a little overconfident. I thought maybe something was coming. 
It did. 2010 Wisconsin, which is borderline. Wisconsin runs back the opening kickoff. Ohio State had just ascended to number one. That's a top 20 Wisconsin team at night in Madison and Camp Randall. That's a tough place to play. That's a good team. But still, you're number one and... That team was riding pretty high, thinking national championship thoughts. I still put that in the upset bucket, although certainly losing to Wisconsin on the road like that is not the same as losing to Purdue or Iowa, some of these other upsets. 2014, Virginia Tech at home, they win the national championship anyway. But in that moment, right, you know, you didn't see that coming. 2017, Iowa, right, four JT Barrett interceptions. After the week after the Penn State miraculous comeback, they just completely fall apart in Iowa City. 2018 Purdue, we all know that. Can't tackle, Rondale Moore goes nuts. The Tyler Trent emotion. And then 2021 Oregon. Oregon comes in here without Kayvon Thibodeau. And you're like, what? I can't believe that happened. Even though the Ohio State defense had trouble, CJ Stroud was young, you still were surprised that was a true upset. So that's seven upsets. That's one category. I have another category called mistakes. A mistake loss where you would say, the reason Ohio State lost was because of their mistake or mistakes, where it's maybe a limited number of plays, like a thing here or there, and that, but it's like you feel like that's kind of the main reason they lost. This is a tougher category. You might have disagreement. 05 Texas, Vince Young, that's the first game I ever covered because, again, I missed the Miami of Ohio game to open that season. Drop in the end zone. You think you catch that, Ryan Hamby catches that pass as Ohio State win that game. So that's one. 2013, Michigan State. Big Ten Championship game. It's Urban Meyer's first loss. The Christian Bryant injury comes home to roost. They don't play Von Bell early enough. They have a coverage break that leads to a touchdown. They have that fourth down call where they get stopped. And you feel like, man, like Ohio State's the better team. And there was like a play or two here or there where they made the mistakes that made them lose that game. 2016, Penn State. It's the blocked field goal that Penn State runs back for a touchdown. In the moment, you're rushing on the field. Why are you, you know, you should have called a timeout. You're hurrying. It's a, it's a special teams touchdown. Penn State wins that game. Good Penn State team. Good Penn State team, but you can kind of point to that play. And then 2019 Clemson. And this is tough, but people, I think there are reasonable comparisons between 2019 Clemson and, and this Georgia loss. I mean, there's a million. It's a playoff semifinal against one of the powerhouses in college football that came down to the last play of the game. So there's a million comparisons. But I do think that Clemson loss, you could point to a couple of plays early where they settled for field goals instead of touchdowns, and then just the touchdown throw at the end. Chris Olave breaks off the route. Just circumstance. You can't believe it. That was right there. And as good as Clemson was, I think there's a little more, and maybe you disagree. But I think reading the texts and kind of where I am, there's a little more of a mistake nature to that loss for Ohio State than to the Georgia loss. Okay, so that's seven upsets, four mistakes. Two rivalry losses, Michigan 21, Michigan 22. I don't know. Michigan losses are different. So there are things you can learn about the football, but I just think they belong in their own category. So that's two. So that's 13 of the 26 losses. I have seven where they stunk. Where it was just like, okay, we thought Ohio State was maybe good enough here, but then they got out there and was like, okay, well, they weren't. So, like, that was, it's just like they played bad. So, I have a bad memory, but 05 Penn State is their second loss that year. Just like a really low scoring game. Uh, and they just couldn't get anything going offensively. 06 Florida, 41 14. We all know that. They can't block the defensive ends. Ted Ginn Jr. gets hurt. Everything falls apart. 
2008 USC, 35-3, they go out there. All those seniors had come back from the last two national championship game losses. James Laurinaitis, Malcolm Jenkins, Brian Rubisky, Alex Boone, Marcus Freeman. They all come back. They go out to USC and get their doors blown off. They're just not ready. And it's bad. 2008 Penn State, now they've switched. Now they're playing Terrell Pryor. They have, at, at home, they lose a game with a, a completely non-existent offense. Completely non-existent. It's the game where Terrell Pryor comes in and his quarterback's coach, Nick Siciliano, is patting him on the back in the post-game news conference. And it's like, okay, they're just not good enough. 2015 Michigan State, like, how do you lose that game? Michigan State's good. Michigan State's a playoff team. But, like, you point back to that and it's like, they just played bad. They didn't, you know, whatever their offensive play calling didn't work. It was a little bit rainy, but like they weren't themselves. And it was like, this is not, they didn't play good enough. And I don't even know that it came down to like, I didn't put that in a mistake thing. Cause it was just like, what did you do? How did 2015 Ohio state with all that talent lose that game? Cause they played bad. 2016 Clemson get to the playoff 31, nothing, get the doors blown off. They're just not good enough. And I forgot by the way, 2009 USC really low scoring at home. Mark Sanchez is gone. Matt Barkley, I think, is a true freshman quarterback. Comes in here. No offense. Bad game. Maybe the worst big-time game that Ohio State's hosted in my time here. Just like a blah, nothing. Ohio State doesn't do anything offensively. Maybe I'm forgetting a huge mistake or something in that game. But to me, those are seven games where Ohio State, like in big matchups, like just didn't play well. And it sort of didn't matter. It's not really about the other team. It's just like, well, that version of Ohio State's not going to beat anybody. So... That's seven. Now I have three losses that I am going to call. The other guys were just better. And Ohio State wasn't great, but it was just sort of like, okay, well, like they're just not going to hang with this team the way it turned out. I went back and forth, but I, in the end, put the 2007 LSU National Championship loss in the Sugar Bowl here. Ohio State jumped out to a 10-0 lead and then gave up 31 straight points. And it was like, they're just overmatched in this spot. And it just, I don't know that you would point to something. It was just sort of the ongoing, you just kind of got sat on through the course of that game, I think, with Todd Beckman at quarterback. So I, I put this in here. I didn't originally have the LSU game in here, but I did go ahead and throw it in. 2017 Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield and his Heisman year comes in and plants the flag in the Ohio Stadium turf. 31-16. They're just better. It's like Ryan Day is early in his tenure as the offensive coordinator. They're trying to get this offense together with JT Barrett. But even though Oklahoma's on the road, it's like Oklahoma's just better. I don't know what you're going to do. And then the national championship game against Bama. I put that in there. That's just Bama being Bama. It wasn't Ohio State's best version of itself, but that was more about Bama. I don't think Ohio State gave anything away in that game. So again, this is 26 losses. That's seven in the upsets, four mistakes. That's 11. Two rivalry games. That's 13. Seven... Games where they stink, that's 20. And then three games where the other team is just better. That's 23. So that only leaves us three losses. And the Georgia loss is one of them. So only two other games that I would put in this category. So that's what we're talking about. Maybe why it's a little difficult. And I will tell you, again, having now gone through all the postgame texts, there are a lot of people who are like, hey, man, they fought. I don't know what you're going to do. And we covered that on the pod um, like three pods ago with the survey. That was the main part of that survey. We talked about Ryan Day play calling and went through the survey. And there were more people who thought, hey, they fought hard than, hey, they blew it. So the three games, maybe you can remember them. It's funny when you cover a team, 
when you cover a team, and I'm throwing out 2011, those 26 losses, I know them. I go through in my head and I know, I know what the losses are because there's so few of them because there's 26 losses in 17 years. It's like, I didn't, I didn't have to, I did double check stuff for score and everything, but it's like, I didn't have to look it up. I can remember all 26 Ohio State losses from every normal year of Ohio State football that I've covered. Why? Because they don't lose much. They're pretty good at football. So the three losses, I have the 2008 Fiesta Bowl against Texas in here. This is the game where they play Terrell Pryor and Todd Beckman at quarterback. Colt McCoy for Texas is good and throws for 400-plus yards. And at the end, Texas just marches down the field for the game-winning touchdown that they throw with 16 seconds left. Um, I don't like it was there for the taking and Texas is, is pretty darn good. Texas is number three. They finished 12 and one that year. Ohio state's number 10. And it, I, I, I think you just walked away from that game and thought like, Texas is really good. And that was a really competitive game. So I think that's similar here. And then the other one that I have lumped in here is the 2013 orange bowl with Clemson. And this is a little different because Braxton Miller hurts his shoulder early in this game, and it leads to the whole rest of Braxton Miller's career where he has the surgery, and then he has the problem again before 2014, and then we get JT Barrett. But Braxton Miller hurt his shoulder, but they couldn't stop Taj Boyd, the Clemson quarterback who threw for 380. They couldn't stop Sammy Watkins, who tore their defense apart, but they they scored with them. And it was like a, I thought it was like a really high-level Orange Bowl. Ohio State was number seven, Clemson was number 12 going into that game. And um, Clemson got up 20 to nine. Ohio State fought back and, and scored 20 straight points to go up 29 20. And then Clemson ended up winning um, 40 to 35, but Clemson went back ahead 34 29. Then Ohio State went back ahead 35 34. And then Clemson wins it 40 to 35. It was just like a good, like high level football game where Ohio State was dealing with an injured guy, but Carlos Hyde ran for 113. Philly Brown. Eight catches for 116. Braxton Miller ran for 35, two for threw for 234. But you couldn't stop Taj Boyd. You couldn't stop Sammy Watkins. And to some degree, it was a little bit of a tip of the hat to Clemson. And that began the rise of Clemson. So that's those are the two games. 2008 Fiesta Bowl, 2013 Orange Bowl that I lump in with this Georgia game, which is you they played right with Georgia. Yes, they miss a field goal at the end. Yes, there's a play call here or there. Yes, of course, a lot of people say and we said on the podcast if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get the targeting, doesn't have the injury that leads to the concussion protocol that le- keeps him out of that game and then they don't get the targeting call on top of that. But there's like things like that, but but I don't think that you look back and go through the way you would some other games and say, Ohio State didn't play well. Or you go through some other games and say, oh, they dropped the touchdown pass there. Or um, they, you know, blew a coverage. The Lathan Ransom thing is, but he fell down, right? So we covered that. I guess you could put this in the mistake box instead of the, you played right with them. And it it wasn't to me, it's, it's certainly not like 2017 Oklahoma where you say, or 2020 Bama where you say the other team's clearly better. It's not that. So if we're going to put this in a category, they didn't stink. It wasn't an upset. It's not a rivalry. And clearly the other team wasn't better. So the only box that this could go in would be Ohio State made a mistake that cost them the game. I don't know. 
if you want to do that with the field goal try at the end or with falling down in coverage, I guess you could. But I'm more inclined to put this in this final category of play your best almost the whole time against an excellent opponent and you're right there. And if we keep it in that category and you agree at all with my diagnosis of these different categories, that's three times in 17 years of football that mattered. So how do we handle this? Like it's 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 not the norm. This is what other teams go through a lot, which is you played well, but the other team also was very good and then you just lost. Like you just lost. And I think this is closer to that than mistake. I think it's borderline. So anyway, I just thought there were some some good texts, especially that one I read, that helped contextualize this. From the 949, Nick in California said a similar thing. I'm absolutely devastated about the game. It's hard as a diehard Buckeye fan to feel like your coach and players did everything right in the pregame and still lost. I'm crushed that it felt like we almost played a flawless football game and still lost. I feel like the two best teams we have had are the 2019 team and the 2022 team, and both teams underachieved. I'm proud of how we performed, but that doesn't take away from the fact that you told me our season would end like this before the Notre that if you told me our season would end like this before the Notre Dame game, I would have been devastated. I don't know what more our coaches and players can do to win a game. So that I think is kind of right. Right? Like, do you agree with that? I think that's I think that's pretty close. To where we are, so so I wanted to I wanted to start I wanted to give us that context um, before we move on because I think we'll look back on this in that way more than we will in any other category. So if you guys have other categories for losses, in the end, seven upsets, four Ohio State mistakes, two rivalry losses, seven they just stunk, three the other team was just better, and three. Two great teams played great games and somebody had to lose. And I put George in that one. That's a pretty small category. Okay, quick break. When we come back, a couple more things we want to talk about on this France podcast. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, back here on Buckeye Talk. Maybe this is burying this game because we're putting it in context. So in some ways, it's like a eulogy for the game because you look back on the game and you talk about everything it means. And I don't mean to... It's, it's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. But it matters to a lot of people. So I thought this was... There's an Urban Meyer Ryan Day thing we're going to do quick. But I want to do this first. I love context like this. See, this is beyond my context, 
which is where you guys come in as co-hosts of this podcast. From the 610, most heartbreaking Ohio State losses in my Buckeye parents' lives. Born in 1953 and 1954. How good is this? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I went through, and I will tell you, 2022 Georgia is the 10th game on this list. The first nine, Ohio State was undefeated and ranked either number one or number two for all of them. So I think that in and of itself adds a an interesting context to this game because it comes with the feeling it felt that important. It was. It's a playoff game. And the world's changed. So being number four is like being number one now because if like you win, you have a chance to be number one. You control your own destiny. But this team was coming off a loss and then had an opportunity, was given an opportunity by another team, by Utah, by something out of their control, but then played at a level to make it feel like it belongs in the context of games where Ohio State lost as an undefeated number one or number two team. So let's keep that in mind. This list from people who are now 70 years old, right? Is that right? 53, 63, 73, 83, 93, 2003, 2013, yeah, 70, 69 year old people, 68 year old people. 1969 Michigan. This is their loss. Most heartbreaking losses in their lifetimes as fans. 1969 Michigan, Ohio State's number one. They're the defending national champs. The Super Softs are now juniors. They go lose to Michigan in Ann Arbor, and it is the beginning of the 10-year war. It's Bo Schembechler's first year. Michigan's number 12. They're 8-0 number one. That's the first heartbreaking loss. 1970 Stanford, the last game the Super Softs as seniors ever play. They're undefeated. They're number two. They're 9-0. They go to the Rose Bowl. They lose to number 12 Stanford. 1973, this game's a tie, but this person put it on the list of most heartbreaking losses, and I think it makes sense. 1973, the Michigan tie. Ohio State's number one, 9-0. Michigan's number four, it's a 10-10 tie. 1974, Michigan State. Ohio State's number one, 8-0. They lose to a 4-3-1 Michigan State team by a score of 16-13. So again, Ohio State's number one, they're 8-0, they lose. 1979, Earl Bruce's first year. They're undefeated going to the Rose Bowl. They're 11-0. They lose to number three, USC, 17-16. It's a national title right there. Can you imagine how everything about Earl Bruce changes if in the first season after Ohio State has to fire Woody Hayes, Earl Bruce goes undefeated and wins the national championship? And they were right there, 1979 to USC. 1996 to Michigan. Toughest Cooper loss. They're number two. They're 10-0. They lose to number 21, Michigan. Then they go on and win the Rose Bowl. So this was a national championship caliber team. Ohio State loses as number two, undefeated 10-0, lose to Michigan. 1998, the Nick Saban game against Michigan State. They're 9-0. They're number one. They lose to Michigan State. Then you get to 2006, the national title game, for what it means for how we remember that year in Troy Smith. That they are un- That's what the person wrote the texter, that they're undefeated number one from the jump. They are number one in the preseason, coming off a great 2005 year. Troy Smith wins the Heisman. They win two number one, two games that year. They beat Texas on the road in 06, and then they win at home against Michigan. Two one, two games they win. And then they go get their doors blown off. And so that's tough because it... It's not like this. It's not, oh, they fought. It's like, oh my gosh, we put that... We just had lumped that other game into they stunk. That was in the stunk category of losses. 2019 Clemson, 
They are number two in that game. Clemson's number three. It goes right down to the wires. Ryan Day's first year, much like Earl Bruce, right? Imagine how Ryan Day would be if he had won a national title in year one, undefeated. He's he's at that point that Earl Bruce was almost. And then this Georgia game. So I think that, the, again, the interesting thing about this is this season, to be on this list with nine other games where Ohio State was undefeated, number one or number two, this game where Ohio State had lost to Michigan, thought it was done, comes back and then rises to the level of being a heartbreaking loss. It's almost an achievement to be heartbreaking because to break someone's heart, you have to be loved. To break someone's heart, you have to matter. You have to be in the fight. Tis better to have right been in the fight. Tis better to have made the playoff and lost than never to have been in the playoff at all. So I think that's some context. Again, is it fun to list heartbreak? No. Did we list the games that they were undefeated and number one or two and one? No, because you take those for granted, right? This is like when coaches always say, oh, you remember the losses. So do we. I can't name all 193 wins that I've covered for Ohio State. And I actually didn't cover the first one, so it's 192 because I missed the first game in 05. So I'm 192 and 26, and they were 6 and 7. So I've covered 198 overall actual Ohio State wins. You don't remember the wins. You remember the losses. So I thought that was thank you to that uh, texter for sharing that list from their parents. And the losses come right up. Let's talk about Ryan Day and Urban Meyer. And I double-checked some of the math on this. This is interesting. From the 201, this person did a comparison of Urban Meyer's last four years so that's 18, 17, 16, 15. So you go, you go, Urban wins the national championship, and then you get in year three, and then you get four more years. And now Ryan Day is four years in. Now, here's where I think this becomes interesting. Urban came to Ohio State ready-made. He was a national champion. He had built three winners at Bowling Green, Utah, and Florida. He knew how to do this. So if you had... A, a chart, a graph of Urban Meyer and his tenure at Ohio State, it would start pretty high, I think, because of who he was when he got here. And then he wins his first 24 games here, loses the Big Ten Championship game in 2013, loses the Orange Bowl. Think about that. Wins his first 24, then loses three of the next four. Fascinating. Michigan State, Clemson, the second game of 2014. Then wins the national title in 14. Does not win another national title at Ohio State and then leaves. So Urban peaks and then comes down. And that makes sense because he is established and he is because of who Urban Meyer is. The good and the bad in all of us, the good and bad of every coach and every person. The intensity that makes him great is also the thing that in the end burns him out. And maybe causes a little bit of certainly not a not a drop off, but maybe a gradual decline from 14. They're still so good in 15, but they don't get it done. They have clear issues in 16, and then 17 and 18. They're still good, but they get upset both those years. Okay, so we're comparing the four worst in parentheses worst years of Urban because his first three years. He's undefeated in the regular season in 12 and 13 and 14 he wins the national title. I mean, how those are three tremendous years. So in this context, we are comparing the worst four years of Urban to the first four years of Day. 
But do you think those first four years of day will be his best years or his worst years? Because his graph is different. He comes in at a very different place. Now, the program is at a similar place because he gets handed the program. That's what Jim Harbaugh said. He gets handed the program. But when you think about it in terms of Ryan Day and Urban Meyer, not the program necessarily, but them, is Ryan Day going to get better or is he going to get worse? If you think he's Larry Coker or Mark Helfrich, then you think he's going to get worse. You think this is the best of Ryan Day. But if you think about everything he's taken in, everything he's learned, right? If you're worried about NIL, you might think this is the best. If you're worried about recruiting, you might think this is the best. If you're worried about staff hires, you might think this is the best and it's going to get worse. But I think you have to at least acknowledge for sure that the charts of Ryan Day and Urban Meyer are different. So let's compare the four years. Urban, 45 and 6 overall. Ryan Day, 42 and 6 overall, but this person included the three years, the three games that Ryan Day got as the interim coach for Urban, so that made him 45 and 6. So similar, same record. Big 10. Ryan Day, 30 and 2 in the Big 10. Urban Meyer, 31 and 4. Okay? Michigan, Urban's 4 and 0. That's a big one. Ryan Day's 1 and 2. Big 10 championships in those four years. Two for Urban, two for Ryan Day. Playoff appearances. One for Urban, three for Ryan Day. Never finished below number six in the final AP poll. That applies to those four years of Urban, the last four years of Urban. It also applies to the first four years of Ryan Day. Think about that. Eight straight years of never finishing lower than six. Okay, pretty remarkable. This 201 texter says, I would take Day's resume all day. That is also against a better Big Ten. I think Ohio State is a better team these last four years than Urban's final four years after the title. I am excited for the future, despite the day haters. I'm not saying you have to think that way, but I thought that was an an interesting reminder, which is what we kind of like to do here, is remind people of things. So keep that in mind, and then I think we can have an off-season discussion. We can maybe make your chart. Do you think Ryan Day is ascending? Ryan Day in the program. Because that was a Ryan Day urban market comparison. You care about the program, regardless of who the head coach is. Program under Ryan Day, ascending, descending, flat at the moment. Is it a plateau right now? What do you think? And how did that Georgia loss affect your view of whether you think it's ascending or not? I, I think it's an interesting comparison. And then would you take that resume? It's two more. So it's three to one. Day leads urban in playoff appearances. But Urban is 4-0 against Michigan, and Day is 1-2 against Michigan. Which resume would you take? Right? That's a discussion, too. It's a form of the discussion we've had a million times here. Do you care more about the Michigan game? Do you care more about national things? There's no right answer. But I think we can have discussions along those lines, again, continuing this offseason. Because I think it's possible that something happened here with Ryan Day. I'm not sure of it, but I definitely have thought that it's possible. Because of just getting a little time with Kirby Smart. From the 5-1-3, perhaps I'm too optimistic as this season in hindsight seems like a missed opportunity, though ultimately it may have been the injuries this that did us in. But could this be the turning point for Ryan Day? Perhaps we took the early successes for granted, but he's a first-time coach who might have just figured it out. This was a flawed, broken team who went punch for punch with the best team of the last two seasons. I still think he has to prove it next year against Michigan, but if let's let it rip Ryan Day has returned for good, I like where we are 
as a team. So I think the discussion that we had about the play calling and even the idea that he's considering that, I think that told us something. I do think, well, this is another offseason pod. I just think we have to acknowledge a game against a great, talented opponent indoors. They're going to let it rip more than they are in other circumstances. So I, I think it's not a coincidence that some of you feel like some people, and I'm not saying you're wrong. Some people feel like the last time we saw Let It Rip Ryan Day was the 2020 semifinal against Clemson, and then you saw it again in the 22 semifinal, 2022 semifinal against Georgia. What do those two things have in common? They're indoors against teams of equal or better talent where you have no choice but to let it rip. When you're outdoors and you think that you have the better talent, you're not going to let it rip as much, at least like right off the bat. And then like maybe you let it rip late and maybe it's too late. So I think... You, I think it would be unwise to expect the same level of let it ripness, but perhaps lessons can be learned. And I would, I think there would be an interesting discussion of what did you learn from the Michigan loss and what did you learn from the Georgia loss? And you put those two things together and how does that make you view things differently as a head coach? And I think the play calling thing is one part of that already. But maybe there is a style that is a motivational style. Maybe. And I think I think this could be where USC coming in and Michigan being good. Because listen, there was an expectation and a reality here, not just a perception, that when Ryan Day took over, Ryan Day took over the best team in the Big Ten. So when you take over the best team in the Big Ten, keep being that. Don't screw it up. Right? Well, with you, you look at where Michigan is right now. And you look at USC coming, and I don't know that it would be the same perception and expectation and reality that Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. Go back to Kings of the North. So what does that mean? Maybe that means you don't feel like you're defending anything anymore. Because Michigan and USC, maybe not raw talent, but when you but in terms of everything else, when you get on the field, you think they're as good as us. So you have it in your head all year. Hey. There's nothing owed us. There's not an, We're not going to be the unanimous pick in the preseason Cleveland.com poll again. We're not the odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten. Blake Corum has announced he's going to stay at Michigan for next year. Who's the favorite in the Big Ten next year? J.J. McCarthy's back. Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum. Who's the favorite in the Big Ten? Michigan or Ohio State? How does that affect how you view everything? Why did they let it rip? Did they let it rip because they lost? Did they let it rip because they were mad? Did they let it rip because they were indoors? Or did they let it rip because they felt like we have nothing to lose because we are not expected. We are not carrying, and it shouldn't really be a burden. Being great shouldn't be a burden. But we are not carrying the burden of expectations. So you can look at Ohio State-Michigan a year from now and say, the burden is on Ohio State. Or you can look at Ohio State-Michigan a year from now and say, hey, Michigan's better than these guys. They both lost in the playoff, but Michigan's a two-time defending Big Ten champ. Michigan has the preseason player of the year in Blake Corum, which is what he'll be in 2023, as Nathan pointed out when he wrote about when he texts about Blake Corum coming back. So you can let the 0-2 against Michigan be a burden, or you can let the expectation for Michigan release your burden as Ohio State. And if some component of releasing a burden, maybe I think a lot of it's indoors. But if it's burden release. If that's what it is, release it, man. 
Maybe Michigan being good is helping you release it. Think of Michigan as Georgia. What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose? Now people think Michigan's better. What do you have to lose? I do think maybe Ryan Day changed. Because everybody gets better. So, But maybe this is more than an ascension. Maybe maybe it's more than a, a just a, a nice, calm, straight line, right? A nice diagonal going up like a ski lift. Maybe there's a more of a straight line. Okay, something clicked in. Man, what if something clicked in? Okay. It's not about painting the walls white, like Doug said after the Michigan loss. It's about we are not going to play with the burden of being Ohio State. We are going to play with the let it ripness that our talent gives us the opportunity to let it rip. I still think it's not that easy. And I still think that Ryan Day, very much offensively, more than we think, wants to make sure they don't screw it up and make mistakes, right? But I don't know. I do think it's possible something might have changed here. All right, last break. We'll come back with a couple more reactions on this Rants pod from Buckeye Talk. All right, this is officially bearing the loss. I didn't realize it was, but it is. So I have all your rants when I did a call out for rants. I'm going to do that later this week. This is still sort of like instant post-game reaction, and I know it's late, but I think it was worth doing because I think there were some good points brought up there. Here is an interesting one that I thought. Listen, I got all the other ones. I got all the anger. I got all the sadness. I read them all. I got all the F-bombs. They weren't They weren't as bad as the Michigan game. They weren't. It's okay. It's it's like if you if you if you're here with us like you know like if if it's not like the only thing you ever texted is is an f bomb that's fine there was anger at the fact that I picked the score right which I get it's like oh that jackal got it right from the six one four there are four goals for every season if you count the way numbers work and not the way Jim Harbaugh's brain works I don't even know what that means and we achieved the one and only goal of twenty twenty two in the Georgia game. We weren't embarrassed in the playoffs, which is number three behind beating the team up north, winning the Big Ten. Number four is winning a national title, and we won't get that one. But we're not 0 for 4 this year, and that makes this Buckeye happy. So getting to the playoff and not getting embarrassed, I I do sort of understand. I just am very much, it's fun to have your team talked about nationally. And it's fun for you to be part of fun for us to be part of the buildup. It's a much as much as the a year ago. I remember saying like, ah, this Rose Bowl. I don't know. Does it matter? Does anyone really care that much? Guys are opting out. Whatever. It's the Rose Bowl. It's fun, but does anyone really care? And then it was an awesome game. The three and a half hours were great. And then afterward, it was like I, I think there was a feeling of like, oh yeah, that Rose Bowl win mattered. And then you stepped away from it. it was like, ah, they're playing a backup running. Utah's playing a backup running back at corner. And is it kind of a one-off? And I don't know. How do you really apply it? Although it was in the moment awesome to see Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud go off that way. It gave you a tease. It set up Jackson Smith and Jigba's year. It set up C.J. Stroud's year. It gave us the tease of Marvin Harrison Jr. Almost made it. Marvin Harrison Jr. So that three and a half hours is really good. The buildup, though, is kind of like, I don't know. Does it matter? That's like we were talking about. This time, you you got a playoff buildup. It's fun to have your team in the mix. So... The idea of you got a month of fun buildup where everybody was talking about Ohio State. Isn't it fun to have your team talked about? And then when you got out there, you didn't you didn't blow all the goodwill. You didn't not show up, right? There is a value in that. So I, I think it's a funny way of saying it. What are our four goals? Beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, 
don't get embarrassed in the playoff, win the national title. But I know I know where the person's coming from, right? I, I do I know exactly where the person's coming from. Uh, so listen, this was then I just like it's no reason to like go through all this stuff now, but I grabbed like a couple samples just as we're burying this loss. Doug, I hate that you got the score exactly right from the five seven four. That was representative of uh, of what several people had to say. Um, someone said this from the two six zero. I hate games like this. Not even because they lost, but the false hope the team gave me. I had optimism beforehand with how the Bucks play as the perceived underdog, and for most of the game they played well. A few too many big plays, a few missed opportunities, and it's over. I love the Bucks, but it's time like these where it hurts the most. I'm happy we didn't get blown out, but a loss is still a loss. It's hard being a fan of a team that should always be a national contender when they seem to continue to fall short. It's exhausting. Wanting to have hope in your team, but then not be, them not being able to deliver. I understand Ohio State can't win every game, but because they are expected to always be top dogs, it sure would be nice to finally be back on the top of the mountain. Forget the two Big Ten teams making the playoff. Forget the Michigan loss. I just want to be champs again. I want to feel the happiness and pride in my team that I feel like I haven't truly felt in years. Well, since 14, it's not that long, right? I mean, honestly. I mean, let's run through the list of people who have won. The number of teams that have won national championships since Ohio State won a national championship, the programs, right? It's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's LSU, and it's Georgia. And, like, that's it, right? Am I missing somebody? I don't think I am. It's not like somebody else has dipped in and felt that joy. There's only been four programs who have felt the championship joy. Since Ohio State last felt it. Like, that's tough. Like, that's that's a hard group to crack. So it's not like there's a gazillion fan bases feeling the teams that you're not feeling the thing that you're not feeling. There's always next season, but how much longer can the repetition of that statement play out before the heart of a fan gives out? Maybe I'm just a spoiled fan, but sometimes I wonder what it's like being a fan of a team that doesn't have such high expectations. Are they more content with certain bowl games? Are they more content having a winning record? What does it feel like if Ohio State doesn't win the championship? It feels like a failed season. How can that perception change, or can it change at all? If Ohio State wants to be not just the kings in the north, but the kings over all the kingdoms, what really needs to be done? So, like, that's sort of (laughs) why we did kings of the north, because we were trying to create some context for maybe a team like Ohio State doesn't have to be national championship or bust when it comes to your enjoyment. That was kind of the goal of that, to try to say, hey, in this sport, there's a geographical thing that happens. It doesn't happen in other sports. In this sport, there are things that give some teams advantages and some teams don't have those advantages. And Ohio State clearly has some advantages. Money, big TV exposure, huge alumni base, great big stadium, facilities, right? But there are some things they don't have and can't ever have when the talent focus and sort of just like the heart of college football is in the South. You can't move Ohio South. So I am very intrigued by context, as, as I've said here. And I'm going to continue to write about it this offseason. But I do think we, you, we, you, we, all of us, have the ability to change the context and change our own context. And it doesn't mean that you get happy with an Alamo Bowl appearance. But it means that you can look at a situation where they play Clemson or they play Georgia or they play Alabama, right? Who are they losing to in the playoff? 
So the Michigan thing is a separate conversation. And I'm not saying it doesn't, it matters a lot. We're just putting it aside for now. But when you think about them losing in the playoff, they won the national championship in 14. Since then, in the playoff, they've lost to Clemson, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia. Those are the powers of college football. They're not getting there and losing to Cincinnati. They're not getting there and losing to Washington, right? So do we have the ability to create a context where you don't feel empty when that's how the season ends? That you can, in the preseason, predict Ohio State to win the national championship, have national championship expectations, not excuse losses necessarily, but then if one happens in the playoff against a program like that, against a Southern power, can you then in that moment, as you reflect on the season and perhaps reflect on the game right away, can you then create a context that allows you to be more fulfilled? I think you can without lowering the standard. So I think that's up to you guys individually. But I don't think that would be a foolhardy effort, and I don't think it would be excuse-making, and I don't think it would be standard-lowering. So let's just keep that in our heads, because there were sad people. Matt from California in the 949. Don't know if this would make the post-game pod, the Rants pod, or anything in between, but I'm absolutely crushed. Crushed that Day clearly did everything right since November 26th, and it still wasn't enough. Crushed that we wasted the second-best quarterback performance I've seen as a fan. Only one better is Justin Fields against Clemson in 2020 and still lost. Crushed that there is a very clear scenario where this team wins the national championship, and it came up short. Crushed that there is no scenario where I ever will ever feel the best team won in that game. Crushed that I have to make the brutal realization as a diehard fan that my team is the ultimate bridesmaid in college football. Always good enough to be a factor, but never good enough to win two games and get the job done. Huge kudos to Dan Stroud for doing everything possible to carry this team to this point, but it really stinks to end it this way. So, again, one of the things, like, always, like, never good enough to win two games. Well, they did it in 14. It's not that long ago. We've only had the playoff for nine years, and they won one. They've gone three decades in the 70s, 80s, and 90s without winning one. So I do, like, I, I, I am 100% with the disappointment. Absolutely. But don't create situations that aren't quite true when you think about Ohio State in context. That's all. To say, like, we've never done that. Well, you did. In 14, you did it. And since then, Southern Powers have done it. So I, you know, it's not an excuse. But it is a reality. Again, the comparison between Clemson, the Clemson 19 and this one, this hot loss hurts more than the Clemson one, but as a fan, I wanted to see some fight, and that's what we got. Proud of those boys from the 203. So we didn't exactly put that question out, which one hurt more. No moral victories blew another one. Right up there with Clemson 2019 from the 614. I don't know. I don't am what I saying, am I saying that when it comes to losing to Southern powers, there is there are such things as moral victories? Am I saying that? I don't think so, but I might be entertaining 40% of that. I don't know. From the 419, read this. Teams better watch their backs. The Buckeyes are coming. 
Excellent game. I won't listen to anything contrary. This is like the Bills losing to the Bengals. It often comes down to field goals. Don't hate on these Buckeyes. I'm so pumped for them to wipe their schedule clean. Just imagine. No Jackson Smith and Jigba. No Martin Harrison Jr. No Trevin Henderson. No Mayan Williams. No Case Dover. Still, we defend. Our honor defend. We will fight to the end. I request you discard negative texts on this day. Every Buckeye fan should be proud. From the 419. So, there's a lot of proud. There's a lot of upset. You guys know that. Um... There's this I thought was good. I'm heartbroken. I can't believe how the defense fell apart in the fourth quarter. But, man, I am so freaking proud of C.J. Stroud. That kid earned my love and respect to a level right up there with Justin Fields as a forever Buckeye legend. I honestly wish I could go there and just uh, give him a hug and tell him thank you. He gave everything from the 859. So, again, we're burying it. We're burying it. I didn't realize it. We're burying it. Why would we be reading post-game texts nine days later if we weren't bearing it this was i'm curious to say so listen there are sometimes people upset with us because we're too harsh there's sometimes people upset with us because we're not harsh enough this isn't it worth saying this from the 937 i'm officially out you guys get on podcasts and make me feel awful about my team you talk all week that the georgia offense will be the toughest matchup for ohio state and it plays out that way literally to the score one of you picked and you go after the defense immediately post game my mindset turning on the postgame pod is I'm disappointed, but I've never been more proud of my team after that performance, given all the adversity of the season and within the game with the injury bug. And you start off with how bad the defense is and you need to fix the defense and it's still not good enough and $2 million, blah, blah, blah. Unbelievable. I don't have time anymore for you guys to tell me all the deficiencies in Ohio State. Maybe part of the toxic Ohio State fandom that is bubbling up this year is in part because you and basically the whole beat are constantly telling us how bad everything is, no matter what happens on the field. So I didn't think that was the case. That's not the intention. I mean, you're trying to hold a team to a standard. You're trying to, well, you guys know what we're trying to do. I think you know what we're trying to do by here. So if you thought, if that was an overwhelming reaction to the post-game pod, then I'll have to take that into account because I think there is a balance after a loss like that there's probably even for us there's more energy in the moment and as we said on the defensive breakdown i know i said it wasn't as bad on second look as it felt right afterward but wanted to read that this is again a lot of people like this this renewed my confidence in ohio state from the 330 so i think that was good uh this was not as good life is meaningless nothing matters we can't beat the sec we all die alone from the 614 uh, many of those things are true, except the part that I, I don't, life is not meaningless. It's, football's exciting. You have to win big games. Kevin from the 847 just finished the post-game pod, had thoughts. Yes, this season was challenging due to injuries to key players, but it's beginning to feel like simply excuses. You have to win the big games. Michigan in the playoffs, and that is not being done right now. Um, see, so like, I, I right, I, I don't. I do think we have a, a tendency to point out the big games that a team loses without acknowledging the big like you Penn State Penn State with the way Penn State played in the Rose Bowl I think Penn State was one of the eight best teams in college football this year Penn State definitely would have made the 12 team playoff and absolutely would have belonged and Ohio State played a tough game there on the road and had a great individual defensive performance from JT and then did what they needed to do offensively in the final 10 minutes and put that team away. And so I think our instinct in the moment, like we don't, oh, it's Ohio State, Penn State. 
Penn State's only beaten Ohio State once in the James Franklin era, and it was on a blocked field goal. Like, that's not a big game. I, I don't know. Like, what like what is a big game? If Because you can get into a point where you only call Ohio State losses, <laughs> losses big games because they're so much better than everybody else they play. So I think it's okay to call the Penn State win on the road at a top eight team where you're down in the fourth quarter and you come back and win convincingly. I think it's okay to call that a big game. Is it the Michigan game? No. Is it the playoff? No. So I don't know. God, I am sick. Fun, but sick from the 904. That was a post-game reaction. So um, we got that. We got the vibe. As we put this away, disappointment, anger, but a lot of pride. A lot of pride. More pride than anything else, as we said on the survey. From the 859, I think the biggest impact of the Georgia game for next year needs to be the lessons that Ryan Day takes from it. He was aggressive, and he went out there doing what Ohio State did best instead of trying to prove they were tough and running it too much and playing into Georgia's hands. Next year, be aggressive and let your program be the Ferrari that it is, and don't try to be a Hummer. So it's the ultimate thing. Can you be a Ferrari through the Big Ten the whole time? I don't I don't know. But I agree. I mean, that's the thing. Like when I that's I'm on the Ferrari track. I don't think I would ever drive a Ferrari. I would be too nervous. I can't drive stick. Like all sports cars, fancy sport cars, stick. I can't drive a stick. I've told you my stick story. I, well, I can't drive a stick. And I'm not a I, I don't think I would look if I was in a sports car at this point, I would look like a desperate middle-aged man trying to hold on to my youth through my sports car. So my Ferrari uh knowledge is only from afar from a distance and so i do think that's who they need to be and i do think that's you know when they throw the ball to beat penn state in the game we just talked about when they throw the ball to beat iowa against an iowa defense that i legitimately think is one of the five or eight best defenses in college football that's who they are that's that is who they are so i think it is a lesson i think the injuries to the run game made everybody a little nuts this year so i think you reset the run game next year but i do think there are lessons to be learned about lean into who you are from the 585, I made the mistake of looking at Twitter after the game. Why are people freaking out at Knowles or Day? I have attacked Day for two years because of his cowardly play calling a lot. I've probably gotten Doug's ignore button for a while because of it. Tonight was not that. They went for the win often. If they played with this offense all year, this is a different conversation. They lost because of a couple miscues, a fall down, and then just frankly another incident with targeting going against the Buckeyes. Georgia is legit, and I cannot imagine them being a huge favorite over TCU this game. This game is the moment for Day. He has to realize that this style play calling is his only way forward, but let's all take a breath and acknowledge this is an instant classic. And then there's this one. I hate Tex, I hate Michigan, I hate football, I hate podcasts, I hate Ohio State, I hate the Big Ten, I hate everything. Hallelujah. Where's the Tylenol from the 614? Okay, we're burying it. I think it's buried. I think it's buried. Man, what could have been with this game? So many guys taken down by injury, and to fight that hard and play that well, I am honestly content even in defeat. I can take losing like that when you know they gave it their best shot with the guys they had. Nothing but love for this team and all the big game criticism of Day needs to stop. The man called a near-perfect game with that line run call on the final drive being his only really bad call. And even that was defensible in just a logical way, but the flow of the game should have dictated a slant or something. So proud to be a Buckeye from the 513. All right, last two, because we are burying it. Why did I just say that at the beginning? I'm going to put the headline on it. People are going to be like, why did he put this headline on the podcast? Two things. We like to add some context from the 419. My dad, Jim, grew up in upstate New York and moved to Ohio in 1969 for law school. Shortly after becoming a lawyer, 
a client who served on the Ohio State Board of Trustees, invited him to an Ohio State game. For the next 25 years, he served as his chauffeur, chauffeur to and from Ohio State games and became an OSU superfan in the process. My brother, sister, and I all attended Ohio State based almost entirely on our dad's love for Ohio State football. My dad and I cried together in Tempe in 2003 after Ken Dorsey's incomplete pass on fourth down. We've watched hundreds of Ohio State games together. Last night, I watched the game in my dad's house without him. He had emergency surgery to remove a pulmonary embolism this past Thursday, and complications from the surgery had him on a ventilator fighting for his life yesterday. This, again, is a text written right after the game. His doctor told us yesterday that while his condition is critical, he was going to, quote, throw the kitchen sink at him to try to save him. His condition started to improve around the time Michigan went down 21 to 3, which even though he's not conscious, I can't help thinking is not a coincidence. It was hard for me to get too emotionally invested in the game last night as the game felt a little insignificant for me in the wake of my father's condition. But I couldn't help but thinking that Ryan Day and CJ Stroud were quote, throwing the kitchen's think at the Georgia defense for my dad. I teared up thinking of how proud he would have been to watch the creativity and calm aggressiveness of Day and CJ after not seeing that against Michigan a month ago. Obviously, there are things bigger than wins and losses. So uh, to the 419, all our thoughts with you and your family and your dad. And I'd like you guys know how I feel about this. Um, There's that. There's when you get toward the end of your life and what sports have done for you and your family and what you've passed on. And then there's what happens early in your life. And this is the one we'll end on from the 303. Doug always talks about sports at its best, bringing people together. I went all in to get my first ever Buckeye playoff tickets for this game and brought my 11-year-old. It was incredible. Before the last field goal, he said to me, whatever happens, I am so grateful we got to be here. And that mattered more to me than any outcome. I told him after the game, sooner or later, Ohio State will win another championship. And when we do, it will be sweeter because of the bitter losses along the way. And with that, we'll consider on this podcast that Ohio State loss buried. It goes into the history books, becomes part of Ohio State football, um, the legacy of this program, which again is a pretty darn good football program. And I think... We are going to continue to evolve how we think about Ohio State, certainly here, and I don't think you would want us to, and I don't think you will, lower the expectations. That's not what it's about, but it's about trying to find a way to understand Ohio State's place in college football and finding the best way for people who care so much about Ohio State football to have high expectations, to have great expectations, and still find joy if they fall short. And so that's what I want for you guys. And then if you do that, maybe it makes it easier for the people in the building to do that. But I'm not worried about the people in the building. They'll be okay. Um, and they, I do think it was good for them, as we said, to finish this off. But we'll talk about that this offseason. So that's in the past. We have other rants. When I actually did the call out for rants, we'll get the goes later this week. By the way, I'm finishing this. You might not, you're probably hearing this after the national championship game. On the College Football Survivor Show, I'm pretty sure my pick was 41 26. Uh, it's, that's Georgia to cover. I just think the talent imbalance 
TCU's good. I do think Ohio State would have beaten TCU. But I think especially Georgia, I just think it's a tough matchup for TCU. Um, I don't... Michigan relying so much on the run, I actually think I, TCU, it's not what I expected, did a great job stopping that. I think TCU will have a tougher job, a tougher time stopping the balanced Georgia offense that we all saw in that game. And then... TCU does have a good offensive line, but I think they might have more trouble. Um, and I just think the, the the kind of quarterback that I think gives Georgia trouble, again, CJ made a couple critical runs, but Georgia certainly wasn't game planning for that, which I think opened it up for CJ. But the bing, bang, boom, making the throws, what Bryce Young did in the SEC championship game last year, what CJ Stroud did this year, that's the way to deal with that Georgia defense. I think Max Duggan falls more into the category of other like athletic quarterbacks, Hendon Hooker, Anthony Richardson, Spencer Rattler, Will Levis, that Georgia had a better time controlling than they had a time controlling C.J. Stroud. And I think Georgia will do that to a greater extent. So I have Georgia covering in a game that is not a blowout, but I kind of would expect Georgia to control the whole way. So we'll see if I can get two in a row right. All right. Sorry this is late. Uh, we'll be back. Nathan, Steven, and I on Tuesday. We'll wrap up that game. We'll get to another Rants podcast later in the week. You guys can go read cleveland.com slash OSU. You know I appreciate it. You guys know how I feel about this version of the podcast and, and feeling like I'm, I'm communicating directly with you guys. And we have a, a feedback loop that I really appreciate. So thanks, as always, to all the texters who sent all that stuff in. I read them all. I read every single one that came in after the game, and I'm going through the other ones from the rant call-out, and we'll get to those later. But for now, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.